Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that as we dive into your word that you, you do what only you can do, and that is connect our hearts to our heads. And we just thank you, God, that today is a day of deliverance for everybody listening. Uh, not just those who think that they've got problems, because we all got problems, but every single one of us, uh, including yours truly, and we just thank you for it and your name. Uh, a few years ago, I took my kids for a walk, and uh, I'm already laughing, man. Uh, and uh, do we have any walk? Like you like to walk? Like anybody like a big walker? Like you got some walkers? There's typically two types of walkers: um, those that uh, just love the scenery, and then those that are on a mission. Uh, the people who love the scenery will walk about this kind of a pace. Their legs are moving. They're walking, but you know, they're a lot more interested in the sights, the smells, the flowers, the plane that flew overhead, looking at a butterfly, all those things. Those that are on a mission are, are walking at a very strict pace. Um, they're like the people who go to Taco Bell and didn't plan it right, and then they find themselves in the corner of Target at the Lawn and Garner section, and then they get the bubbly guts, and they get that, they get that fast walk going all the way. Y'all know what I'm talking about, that mission walk. Uh, I, I am typically the latter. I, I like to go at a specific pace. I like to go in a direction. Uh, and I was taking my kids for a walk, and as I am out there, we're at the YMCA in Millbrook, and they've got trails, beautiful trails, very clear trails. I can't express that they have done an incredible job with the trails. And so I thought, in my amazing wisdom, nothing could go wrong. I will let my kids choose which trails that we walk on. So we'd come up, and there'd be like a fork in the road. I'm like, you want to take the left trail or the right trail? And they would, they would make the call. This is how, how the walk went. And it was fun. Everything's great. Until we hit a fence. And like you would see in like a weird Hitchcock movie, I turned around, and there was no trail. Like, I, don't, I, to this day, have no idea how we ended up there. And I turned around, I'm like, there's not a trail. Like, how, I thought, we'll just backtrack. I can't figure out where we are. There's a fence. Like, there's not supposed to be a fence. A cow's looking at me in the face. The YMCA doesn't have cows. I have no idea what's going on. So I turn around, and I do what any dad does, where you start looking at the sky going, well, if it rises in the east, sets in the west, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, as long as I'm heading west, because the house is west of here, we should be okay. I, I didn't take into consideration that we also went north and south quite a bit. So my, my idea of, I'll just walk in this direction and then there'll be the house, was way off course because we had walked a, like big snake patterns. So I have no idea. My bearings are off. And it gets to this place where we are walking. And we hit this field. In this wide open field, the grass is probably three foot, four, four foot high. At this time, my kids are a lot shorter. And I'm like, we have to, we have to just Daniel Boone this sucker and, and trail through. So I'm walking, and every once in a while, I have to stop and raise my hands. I'm like, can y'all see me because the grass is taller than the kids? And I hear, yes! And then you see like a little grass moving, and they come right into my hand. I take a few more steps. Can y'all see me? Yeah! And then they'd, you know, they'd, they'd find their way back. And then Bill, we hit this little stream. And I'm like, I don't remember a stream. Um, and so we cross this stream. We get to the other side. And 
what meets us on the other side is uh, a view of the trail. I can see in about 100 yards, there's a trail, which gives me hope. It tells me that civilization has been there before. It tells me that we're going to make it okay. So I'm looking, I'm like, all right, well, there's a trail. But there's a problem, and that problem was to get to that trail was a good 30 yards of sticker bushes. Uh, my phone doesn't work. And wouldn't you know it, EJ, at that moment? You're, when I look up, rain. I'm like, this is amazing. Amazing day. I look at my kids, I'm like, I'm not going to sugarcoat this, guys. We've got three big options. Uh, we can go back through the jungle and spend hours, and we may get lost. There's no guarantee that we're going to get back. Option two, we can sit here and die. And option three is we just forge through these sticker bushes and man up. My daughter looked me right in the eyes and go, I choose option two. I said, McKenna, what was option two? We die. I said, it is what it is. I'm not, I'm not walking that way. And I'm not walking this way. I'm like, this is what we're doing. So like any good, like I went into like an internal like drill sergeant mode and tried to read, you know, all the movies that I could find. I'm like, we're going to push. And I'm, we're going, we're going, we're going. They're screaming at me. They're, 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 they're in flip-flops and shorts. I know. I forgot. I didn't think that we were going to go through the sticker bushes. I just thought a happy little trail on my little, you know, like, yeah, yeah. And so we get to the other side, and my kid's like, I hate you. I'm like, I hate me too. Like, I get it all. Like, it's a bad day. Y'all know what I'm talking about. One of those days where it's a bad day. In fact, my son looked at me later on. He goes, I hate Mother Nature. <laughs> I tried to spin it to be like, this is like life. When you get off the path that God laid to you, and my, they, they were like, I don't care, Dad. Like, I don't, I don't care. God made these bushes. Like, I'm like, like he was angry at God. Like, everything was bad. Uh, they, for a while there, they experienced a little bit of PTSD um, because every time people would say, you want to go for a walk, they would like cower. I didn't even have to ask if they wanted to go for the walk. You could have asked them. They're like, mm, mom remembers. Like, they, they were just like, not going to happen. They had a one bad experience and it ruined it for everybody else. And I feel like a lot of times, as we're going to segue into this, uh, uh, today I want to talk about walking with God. Um, and a lot of times we've had one bad experience, and it's changed the course for all of our future experiences. And this reminds me that uh, a lot of times we've experienced, if you will, some spiritual PTSD with other things in life, and with other people in life. And now, whenever God says, I'm doing something new, come with me, we're like, you know what? I'm good. I'm comfortable with my own demons here, and I'm going to sit here and die. I choose option two. Today we're going to talk about walking with God. But we're going to take a different approach. We're going to take a different angle than we probably heard before. Um, and when I started thinking about walking with God and the, and the supernatural, one of the first stories that hit me was Peter. Peter walking on the water. It's a highlight. It's great. Not just because I'm narcissistic and want to say my name. I'm just saying, like, it's a really cool story. The guy gets out of a boat and walks on water, and it's, it's really cool. Um, to, to do that story and to talk about those things, and especially in summertime, we're talking about it's all hot and there's storms coming out of nowhere, but then there's coolness and, and, and then do it. Have you ever noticed that in that story, though, there's something big that bothers me? They are at a spot where they are convinced they're going to die. 
And what did the disciples see walking on the water? Does anybody know? A spirit or a ghost. Peter says, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to come out there. So one thing we learned is that ghosts can't lie. Like if you're a ghost and you're like, come, tell me to come out there, he's going to be like, okay, come. And then Peter just sinks. I'm like, ha, ha. Like, I mean, like, so yeah, fun fact, ghosts can't lie, I guess. Um, but Peter does exactly what he, what he says, and he, he jumps out there and does his thing, but it just didn't feel like the right story. It didn't feel like the right angle that I wanted, that, that my heart was leading towards. So today, we're going to dive into Genesis 32. If you have your Bible, Genesis 32, we're not going to go through the whole chapter, but we're going to go through some of it, the last half for sure. Um, this is a story about a guy named Jacob. I'm going to give you some backstory. Jacob has a past. Does anybody else have a past? He comes from a dysfunctional family. Don't, we sometimes forget that these Bible characters that we idolize were messed up. Jacob came from a very dysfunctional family. Uh, let's, let's, let me help you out there. Um, he was a twin, but his twin brother was born before him. And in that time, that brother got everything. So Jacob was the firstborn I mean, Esau was the firstborn, Jacob got the leftovers. But when it came time to this, to get his inheritance, his mama got involved. Y'all know if you have more than one kids, they all think that one kid is the favorite kid? Y'all know that? that? That wasn't the case, right? It was the case? It was the dog? All right, um, no, uh, <laughs> jeez, somebody's, never mind, I'm gonna, all right, yeah, I picked the nursing home, all right, so, <laughs> all right, so Jacob, in this case, the rumors were true, mama was team Jacob, it wasn't like one of those, oh no, we love you all equally kind of stuff, which is not true, let's not lie, our kids aren't even in here, well yours are, but they already know. Um, like, we, the, it's not equal. It's not. You, you may love them the same, but you may favor personalities a little bit different. Am I the only parent that's going to be honest right now? <laughs> Nathan raised his hand because he knows he wins. So, like, my parents loved me and Heidi the same, but mom likes hanging out with Heidi a lot more, and that's okay. I've gone through lots of counseling and therapy, and, it, and, I've, and I've come to grips with that. <laughs> And dad likes the dog, obviously. Um, but when his dad is ready to bless Esau, his mom figures out a way to trick. His mom figured out a way to get Jacob to the front of the line. And the plan was this. When, when dad tells Esau to go kill and make me something to eat, we're going to go kill a lamb. We're going to put his skin, his fur, on your arms and the back of your neck so that when your dad pulls you in close, he's going to feel that side note that's a hairy man can you imagine him at the beach like his so hairy a sheep have you seen a sheep like i've seen some hairy people i've seen the hair poking out of the shirt you know like that kind of stuff i've never looked at him like man he looks like a sheep so esau looks like sasquatch walking around obviously That's a lot of hair. In the back of his neck? 
Like, I've seen hairy arms before, but your neck is so hairy, it's like a sheep. All right, sorry. I digress. You have two brothers that are in line for a birthright. Mom is undercutting the older brother to get what she wants. The entire idea is that we're going to steal from the family. To add more dysfunction to Jacob's life, his grandfather married his stepsister. Y'all don't know Abraham and Sarah were related. Think about that. (laughs) He has an estranged uncle, Ishmael, somewhere, who's sworn to kill him. And y'all think y'all got problems? Like This is where Jesus came from. Like These are the, the heroes of our faith. And halfway through Abraham and Sarah, he pawned her off to another man. Twice! This is Jerry Springer, y'all. Like, this is incredible. This is the epitome. I don't care how much dysfunction you think you have. This family's got you beat. So he tricks his dad. He tricks his brother. Everything comes out. Esau finds out. And what's Esau say? Good one. You got me. No, he says, as soon as dad's dead, so are you. Now, when Chewbacca looks at you and says, as soon as dad's dead, so are you, you go, and you take off running. So he does. He runs. And where does he run to? His uncle's house. And what does he do? He falls in love with his cousin. His uncle father-in-law now is now at a spot where he's like, you want Rachel, she's beautiful, you're going to work for me for seven years. And then on the wedding night, he gives her the ugly sister, cousin, and marries her. So now he's got sister wives with an uncle father-in-law. This is in Alabama, I know! This is just bizarre. I'm, I'm, I'm writing all this stuff down last night going, are you okay, God? Like, is this, was there not enough people on the earth at this time? But this is, what, this is the reality of where he was. And he gets to a place where Jacob is now led by God to leave. He's worked his 14 years. He's done his thing. He's uh, uh, created quite a lot of wealth at this moment. Um, and now it's time for him to go. So he leaves. He heads out. And when he leaves his father-in-law, uncle's house, he heads back home. What's waiting for him at home? Yeah, death. Sasquatch, yeah, yeah, he's ready for him. His last exit on his way to his home, he sends some messengers to test the waters. The messengers come back and say, we saw your brother, he looks great, and he's on his way to meet you with 400 men. So that's happening. Jacob is rightfully scared. If you call me and say, this person told me they're going to kill you, Pete, and they're on the way to see you with five people, 
it's going to be intimidating. 400 people? Yeah, you're done. They're coming on purpose. Like he didn't say he's sending 400 party planners. These are 400 warriors. Mind you, his grandfather's warriors were able to overthrow kings. Remember that? So these are trained men <laughs> for a specific purpose. And so he has this idea. What he's going to do is he's going to stagger it out. He's going to start sending stuff in the direction of Esau, his brother. And the idea here is that if we can create a gap and we watch one party get massacred, we can run away. We can start setting up plans. I don't know who drew the short straw on gets to go first because they all knew the plan. The plan is you go and if you die, we live. Go team. That's the plan. So he starts staggering them out. Group after group after group after group after group after group waiting for a report of bloodshed or welcoming, and he's not getting a report. I'm, I'm quite confident that his anxiety and stress are at an all-time high. So this is what takes place. In, in verse 22 of this chapter, it says this, the same night he rose and took his two wives, his two female servants, this is verse 22, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He then took them and set them across the stream, and everything else he had. Verse 24, first part of this, so Jacob was alone. Jacob was alone. This is before Facebook. He couldn't DM anybody. He couldn't FaceTime anybody. He couldn't call anybody. Jacob's alone. He's alone alone. And this is in the middle of the night. Jacob is absolutely finding himself in one of the lowest parts of his life. And this verse hit me so hard, because have you ever been there alone? I'm not just saying alone driving down the car, alone getting ready for work. I'm saying alone with your thoughts, alone with your fears, alone with no one else to talk to. And I want you to know that sometimes when we find ourselves in the most vulnerable and in the most alone state, that this is the moment that God has prepared for an encounter. It's the best time when I hear him clearly. It's the one moment when I appreciate his goodness. It's that time when I've got nothing else and no one else, so I've got to fall on my knees and pray. Jacob is finding himself in this spot. <laughs> Sorry. And I love this because out of nowhere, and a man wrestled with him till the daybreak. There's no KOAs. There's not a campground around. I want you to put yourself in Jacob's shoes for just a moment. You're going to die. And you just sent your whole family and everything you own across to go meet the same fate that you're probably going to meet. At best case scenario in his mind, they'll just be his servants and slaves. But most likely he's going to kill my whole family. And then you turn around. Now, mind you, this is not high noon. They said the middle of the night. You turn around, and there's a man walking towards you. 
if you are camping and you are by yourself, there's no civilization anywhere. And you hear a rustling in the trees. And, and then you see this dude come walking out of the trees. And you're like, hey, what's up, man? And he's just staring you down, walking towards you. What are you going to think? Anybody? Bold enough? Axe murderer. Axe murderer. Am I the only one who would think that? I'm going, yeah, this, this is how it's going to happen. I love this because I found myself last night laying in bed, cracking up laughing. Because there's no verse or version that says, and God sent somebody to fight Jacob. I'm wondering if God's like, hey, angels, I need you to go and go, go bless Jacob. And they get down, fear not. And Jacob's like, you picked the wrong day on the wrong guy. And then just starts going at it. And the angel's like, oh, you want to dance? And then they start, I mean, there's nothing here that says that God sent an angel to fight Jacob. Not one version. I'm wondering if Jacob picked the fight. Just, I started laughing when these angels like, what is happening? This guy wants, okay, let's dance. And like, they, they do. They fight for hours and hours. And it gets to this moment, and he fights within the daybreak, verse 25, and the man saw that he could not overpower him. Can we pause for a second? Time out. You know those photos of Jacob where he's about 100 pounds soaking wet, like dusting with his mommy? He, he wrestled with an angel for hours and was winning. Pretty confident he wasn't a pansy. Just saying. When your brother's Chewbacca and he's your twin, you got beat up a lot. So I'm pretty confident he figured out how to fight. So Jacob fights with this man all night long. And it says that he touched his hip socket and popped his leg out of place. I've never had that happen. I think it hurts. I think it hurts. And he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said, what's your name? He said, Jacob, which means supplanter or deceiver. This is attaching his past to his identity. This is that moment when everybody looks at you and be like, oh, you're always going to be a liar. Oh, you're always going to be this person. Oh, you're always going to be that person. Remember in high school when you did all that stuff? That's who they're always going to be. Remember that? Uh, this, is, this is the person I wanted to introduce you to. Remember the per- all the stories that I told you and all the stories they tell about you are horrible? By calling himself Jacob, he was identifying with his past. And then he says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and men, and and have prevailed. That's a crazy verse. He said, so tell me your name. He says, why do you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Verse 31, and the sun rose up as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Leave that verse up. Leave it up there for me, please, Josh. Limping because of his hip. Now, if we continue to the next chapter, we see Esau coming. Esau comes, and Jacob is limping. 
all his way with every step to the man who's going to kill him. He runs into Esau. When he runs into Esau, Esau hugs him. He kisses him. They cry. There's restoration. There's, there's reunification. All those things that take place. But can I tell you, that had to have been the loneliest and most painful walk of his life. Walking normally to Esau would have been scary. Knowing you don't have a fighting chance because everything's out of socket had to be terrifying. So let me say this kind of crazy thing. Jacob had to learn to walk wounded. He had to learn how to walk wounded. You see, when we talk about Peter walking on the water, we love that story because Peter does the impossible. He walks on water. It's a really cool story. It's really, really great. But, but the, and there are, are times when you have this undeniable power of Jesus that just does everything for you that's really, really great. And then there's times when you have to learn how to walk wounded. Let me say it kind of crazy. Walking on water is easy. Peter didn't do anything. I mean, he didn't do anything to get some special powers. He didn't find a magic ring and he didn't get hit with some radioactive, you know, a, a spider or, or find some kryptonite. Like, he didn't do anything. He was just able to do it. Walking on water takes God. Walking wounded takes you. We like the walking on water because all of it's God's responsibility. I can fill the bathtub up and step in it, and it doesn't matter how much I pray or how fast, or if I can memorize 2 Peter or 3 John, it doesn't matter at all. I'm still going to sink. It happened twice. Twice. It's probably not going to happen again. His worst case scenario was he'd step out the boat. He's a fisherman. I hope he could swim. It's kind of his living. He'd step off the boat, sink, swim back to the boat. Joke's on me, it was a ghost. That's his worst case scenario. Uh, uh, Jacob had a little bit different. But this is what we want. We want the Peter walking on water miracles. That's the one that sells books. That's the one we scream and hoot about. That's the one when we sit at home and I preach about, you got checks in the mail and you didn't do anything to deserve it. And you're like, woo! That's the one that we can, we can, we can talk about all of these things that are, are great, that are easy, this microwavable, quick thing, God's going to do this and that's going to do that and you're going to go home and you're, 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 everything's going to change. This is that whole, I'm an alcoholic message that we've heard before and then I woke up one day because my mama was praying for me and I vomited at the taste of alcohol and now I don't deal with it anymore. One day, you know, I was addicted to cigarettes and I start smoking cigarettes and now they just taste horrible to me. So I, I was broke. I didn't do anything. Those are great stories. That wasn't Jacob's story. That's not my story. That's probably not your story. God has done some big things periodically, but my story is not this. I'm sitting in my lazy boy spiritually and God just get me fat. What it is, is a lot of this. What it is, is I've learned how to walk with a limp. What it is, is that I've learned how to deal with issues one step and one day at a time. <laughs> I would love to go, hey God, I want to lose 20 pounds of fat tomorrow, and then wake up, and I've got a six-pack. <laughs> That's the equivalent of Peter walking on the water. It just happened. No one likes the gym. 
We marvel at Peter's faith because he stepped out once. What about every step that Jacob took? Think about it. Peter saw a storm, and Jesus got angry and told it to go away, and it did. He watched blind eyes open. He watched Jesus spit in somebody's face, and they they thanked him for it. He watched demons get cast out. He watched leopards get healed. He watched uh, dead men come to life. He looked at everybody and said, oh, that person's sleeping. And they're like, no, he's not. He's like, hi, joke's on you. They are now. Wake up. And they did. He watched all of those things. And so now he's watching Jesus walk on the water. And he says, hey, can I come? He's like, yeah, come on. I feel like that didn't take a whole lot of faith. (laughs) Jacob wrestled with God, started to win, popped his hip out of socket, and can I tell you, here's the craziest part, God left, and Jacob had to walk. It's a lot easier to walk towards Jesus. It's a lot harder to walk towards somebody trying to kill you. It's easy to raise your hands and worship in a place like this when you have worship like we just had and feel so strong. But then what about your faith on Thursday when you've got more month than money? It's easy to talk about rebuking shame. It's not fun to walk it out. Or when you've had to share your faith with somebody at work and they know not what you did 10 years ago but 10 days ago because they were at the same party. But something changed in you, but they remember who you used to be. It's easy to be full of faith and patience in here, but when you have people bashing you on social media and people who claim to have loved you and to be your ride-or-die friends, but now they just hope that you ride and die, that's a totally different story. See, this wasn't the same story as Peter because in this story, it wasn't Jesus walking towards him. It was the man who wanted his head. And here's what messed me up. You ready for this? Who, who wounded Jacob? The Bible doesn't say a devil showed up, dead-legged him real quick and ran away. No. When I was younger and knew everything, I had this idea, and maybe some of you guys have too, that when we got saved, all of our, all of our past was erased and we got a fresh start and that Jesus would just heal our past, and we would no longer deal with it. And there was no way that I would ever think that cancer would affect my family, uh, or that uh, other Christians would hate me, or that I would have extreme major loss in my life. Um, No, I, I, I thought that once you received the blessing, that everything was supposed to magically get better for the rest of your life. So, so why after Jacob got the blessing did the wound not get healed? And here's what's still messing with me. He got a new name and a new limitation on the same day. See, he got blessed and forgiven and redeemed and no longer called Jacob or the deceiver, but now he's called the one that God strives with and now he walks with a limp. And let's be real, you can make major, major mistakes in your life and have genuine repentance and cry and be redeemed from all those things, but that doesn't stop people from hating who you are. In my life, I've messed up. 
Shocker, I know. Um, and, and for many of you guys, y'all messed up in your life. And the difference is that most of the time, when you mess up, a small circle notes. In, in, in my life, everybody knew. In fact, the, the first time I preached again, years and years after I, I messed up, it didn't matter. I was getting heckled on Facebook while I preached from Christians who, mind you, previously talked about forgiveness and restoration. Uh, can I say it this way? I may walk with a limp, but at least I'm walking. And some of you guys have had parties and stories and you've got saved and now you don't have friends. Y'all been there? All these people who are like, you need to stop drinking. You need to stop doing those pills. You need to stop doing all this stuff. You're doing a little bit too much. And then you're like, you know what? I do need Jesus. And you get Jesus and then you pass them spiritually and now they're like, man, you're too holy. I mean, Bill went from a Marine to a minister. I mean, I can imagine that whirlwind of relationships. Bill, I haven't seen you in 20 years. You're like, yeah, I pray in tongues now. <laughs> For clarification's sake, let me hit this. Wounds, there's typically three types. I think it's kind of obvious, but I'll go through them real quick. Uh, you did it. They did it. Life did it. You caused the wound. They caused the wound. Life caused the wound. Those are the three main types. You did it. You wounded yourself with your behavior, with your choices, with your actions. They're your mistakes. They're your failures. They're your sins. They're the promises that we didn't keep, the commitments that we broke. They're the stuff that we wish we could erase from our history, but they're actually part of our story now. It's the hurt that we caused in other people whom we loved. And it brought about shame. It brings about condemnation. It brings about all of these nasty feelings. And this is what Jacob did to Esau. Jacob caused that wound. They did it is different. You didn't do anything wrong. But they did. They wounded you. They lied. They betrayed. They stole. They cheated. They broke. They hurt you. They cut you. They abandoned you. They lied on you. You needed that mom. You needed that dad. But they left when you were a kid. They left you high and dry. The, the, the friendships that were supposed to be with you, but they were getting information from you so they could use it against you, and now they're betraying you. It's the, the church that you needed, but now you look back and they abused you and then they used you. You're not for blame for any of this hurt, but there's still wounds. This is what his father-in-law did to him, caused wounds. Life wounds aren't necessarily anybody's fault. It's the doctor's report about cancer. It's the dad had a heart attack. It's the, oh, while we're pregnant, and you paint the nursery, and you, you, name the, you got names picked out, and then somewhere along the way you have, a, have issues and lose the child. It's the, I've planted my garden, but now there's a famine it's that I've built my house, but now there's a flood. I've done the right thing, waiting for the right man, and yet the right man hasn't shown up yet by this person over here hitting the clubs. I've had five husbands. What's wrong with me? Life issues. I've often wondered in those moments and in those wounds what to do. And I've heard it, and I've said it, I've preached it, Give it to Jesus. 
Anybody else heard that? Oh, you've had some trauma? Give it to Jesus. What happens when Jesus doesn't want it? Just be honest. My version of giving it to Jesus is, God hears all my issues, and he goes, yes, you don't deal with those anymore. And that's not what happens for many of us. That's the Peter walking on the water. That's the when you deal with emotional or spiritual amnesia, and you don't deal with those issues anymore. But typically, with a lot of us, is that we have this idea that by giving it to Jesus, this means we're going to go to the altar, we're going to cry, we're going to repent, it'd be completely sincere, but when we get up, everything's going to be different. Am I the only person who's done that and nothing was different? <laughs> there are people here who have wounds. And I'm not talking about the people who want their wounds. Can we talk about for just, just the people who are married to their wounds? who loved them so much, even if you could fix them, they wouldn't want you to fix them wounds. The people who use their wounds for leverage and everything in life kind of people. I'm, I'm not referring to the people who have this idea that being victimized empowers them. I'm, I'm not talking about the people who want to dig up issues over their life over and over and over again. You're like, it's been 25 years, dump or get off the pot kind of wounds. What I'm talking about are people who are daily going, I'm trying to get rid of this, and it's not going away. I'm doing everything I can kind of wounds, and it's not going away. I've done the right steps. I've done the right devotions. I've given the right amount of money. I've read all the books. I've done all the fasting. I've done all the praying, but my wounds are still there. <laughs> what am I supposed to do after I give it to God, and my heart was pure, but the pain and the limp is still there. Why didn't God heal Jacob? A lot of times I remember how fast I used to be before my limp. How quickly I could handle things before my pain. How invincible that I used to think that I was. And now I walk a little slower. My steps are a little more deliberate. And I have to remind myself that this is not a race of speed, but of endurance. That this is not a race for the swift or the strong. It's a race of consistency because the Bible says a righteous man falls seven but gets up eight. This is not the Olympics where everything looks beautiful and we're seeing who's the fastest. This is more like a, a tough mudder when they're rolling around in the mud getting back up and keep pushing on. <laughs> Pete, this is an Old Testament story and we don't deal with those issues. But what if I told you that there are other people who got new names and new limitations. There was a guy named Paul. Paul used to be called Saul. Remember that? Saul was passionate about killing Christians. That's fun. Uh, this is a man who thought he was doing God's work for God's plan. The Bible tells us that he was on his way to go kill more Christians, persecute more Christians. And on the road to Damascus, he, he goes and he has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus literally blinds him, knocks him off his horse and says, hey, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, who are you? I'm Jesus, the one you're going after, bro. He didn't say bro. Um, <laughs> sorry. One you're trying to kill. Saul comes to, gets prayed for, and has a new name. 
His new name is now Paul. Paul ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament, of which most of the New Testament you memorized was probably written by Paul. Incredible story. It's beautiful. He got a new name. He's doing all these things for, for God. But this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11. It says this, Five times <laughs> I received at the hands of Jews 40 lashes less than one, which is 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers of rivers, in dangers of robbers, in dangers of my own people, dangers of Gentiles, dangers in the cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, and toil and hardships through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst without food quite often, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's just the stress and anxiety of the church. Paul is listing a bunch of wounds. I'm mad that people talk about me, but I haven't been stoned. I get upset when I have some obvious post about my way, but I haven't been whipped with, a cha- with you know, lashes 39 times. I haven't died and raised myself back. One of the coolest stories, sorry, side note, is when they take Paul to stone him out of the city, and they kill him. And then he comes back to life, and walks back to the city to get his coat. Can you imagine? Like you're just holding his coat, I killed Paul. He's like, that'll be mine, thank you very much. And then walks out of the town, you're like, I'm not touching him again. Like, can you imagine? But that was Paul, he just had super faith. In chapter 12 it says this, talking about these things that he actually calls thorns in his side. I have pleaded with the Lord three times that this would leave me. But he says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, of my wounds, of my pain, so that the power of Christ rests upon me for the sake of Christ. Now I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul is saying is, devil, you messed up. You thought you would crack me with pain, (laughs) but I'm still here. You thought that I wouldn't get back up, but I got back up again. You thought that losing my job would keep me down, but I'm still here. You thought that losing your marriage would keep you down and crush you, but you're still here. You thought losing your friends would keep you quiet, but you're still here. You didn't know that when you were beating me to the ground, what you were doing was putting my knees on the ground so that I could pray and seek his face. What you didn't realize, devil, that as you were beating me, I was finding myself in a position of worship the entire time. What Paul was doing is saying, these wounds are making me stronger, and you may see a limp. But what you don't realize is how strong that I've gotten. See, what we don't realize is that Jacob, while he walked like this for the rest of his life, everybody would go, hey, what happened to Jacob? No mess with him. He beat up God. Because your limp tells a story. You know what it tells you? You were in a fight, and you're alive. 
You know what's beautiful about scars? Is scar says, at one time I was cut, but I'm still alive. Wounds bleed out all over the place. Scars are healed. And what's happening is that the church and people in the church want to just bleed out all over the place. And what God wants to do is to take your wounds, turn them into scars, and make something of you. He looks at you and says, Bob, those pasts that you have, those wounds that you deal with, those handicaps that you think you have, my grace is sufficient for you. He looks at a Candace and says, why worry about your past wounds? My grace is sufficient. Shonda, why do you worry about the things that are spoken against you? My grace is sufficient. We sit there and go, God, take it away. And God goes, you have no idea what I'm doing. Paul says that I used to have setbacks with these wounds and now I know where I come from and I get stronger with expectation of grace. With every negative word that's spoken over my life, that means there's more grace. With every single issue that pops itself up, that means there's more grace available. Every time that you've attacked me, his grace is sufficient. Every issue that you have, his grace is sufficient. Every issue that comes against you should remind you that now you have more capacity for new grace. What would happen if we looked at problems and said, there are opportunities for more grace? With every wound that was welcomed with an attitude of opportunities. What if I told you that your wounds make you a warrior? They don't make you weak. They make you a warrior. Come on, somebody. Your wounds won't make you weak. They make you a warrior. Every time... Jacob got up. He was a warrior. He was stronger. He was stronger. He was stronger. Get up. Walk with a limp. The Bible says the weapons will be formed, but they won't prosper. It doesn't mean that they don't hurt. We have this idea that the devil's got a gun. It goes pow and explodes in his face. What if it just wounded you? It was intended to kill you, and now he just caused a wound. Here's the thing that's crazy, is if you wound a Marine, you better kill him. Because he'll find you. And he'll take care of business. And what's happening is the enemy has caused wounds, and now we're like, oh no. And we just lay on the ground and pretend to be dead. Instead of getting up and going, who shot me? Where's he at? The enemy wants to use your wounds to paralyze you. <laughs> to keep you in fear, to keep you bound up, to keep you on lockdown, to keep you completely in isolation from everything and everyone. But what if I told you that God wants to take your wounds and weaponize them? This, I picked up at Home Depot. It's 48 inches, so it's a four-foot piece of steel that's two inches by 48. This is used to reinforce. It's pretty much all it's going to do. Nothing crazy, nothing special. It's just perfect. It's straight. There's no holes. There's no problems at all. The difference between this 
And this is that this has wounds. It used to be perfectly square. It used to be just like this. But somebody took a hammer to this thing, and they began to beat on it, and they began to shape it, and they began to take something that used to be like this and turn it into this. Where this is to reinforce something, this is used to do battle. Where this is used to just look good and maybe not even seen in a house, this is used to take over nations. The difference between this and this is that this has been wounded, it has been cut, it has been beaten, it has been on fire, it has been beaten some more, it has been shaved down, it has been taken to a grinder, it's been all of those things. This is sitting in an air-conditioned shop. God wants to turn you into this. What he wants to do is to turn you into a weapon that he can be used. This is why the Bible says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What are you testifying? That I had a wound and now I'm a weapon. That every time you get up and tell your story, they see that it's a weapon. That every time somebody comes up against you, it's okay because you're going to beat the devil up because you're now the weapon. Every time you've dealt with sickness and disease that you've overcame, my God was grace was sufficient. Every time you've had a problem in your finances that you survived, my grace was sufficient. Let me tell you something. The difference between good and great is that great people learn how to walk wounded. You want to see somebody who's been married 35 years? They've got wounds. (laughs) There has been disappointments. There has been words spoken that were hurtful. There was things that were falling through. Accidents were made. Whatever it was, 30 years is a long time to live with somebody. And I'm sure that there's been times in those 30 years that thought, we're not going to make it. Maybe it was a fleeting thought. Maybe it was a lingering thought. But those thoughts happen. But you know what they did? They walked. They walked. They kept walking. (laughs) Your wounds aren't your ending. They're what's shaping you in the hands of a craftsman. In my life, my wounds that were self-inflicted have opened more doors for me than I could have possibly imagined. It was meant to kill me. The devil had a plan for my life, and I helped his plan. To be honest, maybe you've helped the devil with his plans too. And in a moment where I was supposed to be crushed and put under and thrown out for the whole world, it opened up doors for people to go, hey, Pete, I've got problems too that no one knows about. And more and more, I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversations with somebody because things that didn't go right in their life, that they've been dealing with shame, they've been dealing with condemnation, they've been dealing with guilt, they've been dealing with all these things. And now I'm walking around as a weapon in his hand to help people deal with their issues. Your wounds don't make you weak, they make you a warrior. Let me tell you a secret. You have to learn to walk wounded. What I'm telling you is this. If you can figure out the art of the walk, it's the secret sauce to every part of life to be successful in. What I'm saying is that greatness is all over you. As long as you get off out the mud and you learn how to walk wounded.
What I'm saying is that you can be everything that God has for you, even if you've got wounds. This idea that perfection in your performance, it's not truth. That's not truth. Can I tell you, God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for progress. Well, you get back up. You've laid out on the mud long enough. It's time to get back up. You've wallowed and said, oh, woe is me because they hurt me. It's enough. Get back up. Pete, you have no idea the pain that church has caused me. I do. Trust me, <laughs> I do. Time to walk back in. Pete, pastors have hurt me. Yep. People who I look forward to have hurt me. Yeah. It's time to walk. Walk with a limp. Pete, you don't understand the issues of my life and the things that I've dealt with, the shame that I carry, the guilt that I carry, the condemnation that I carry. Sucks. I understand. Got to walk. Get back up. But Pete, when I walk into the church, people are going to know. Probably. Probably. But do do you want to pick number two and just die in the bushes alone? Do you want to be a weapon that can be used to keep walking again? At the end of the day, we have two choices. Turn into a weapon or option number two. Lay and die. Here's the trick. The enemy can't kill you. If he could, you'd already be dead. Think about that. If he could have his way and just wipe you out, you'd have been dead a long time ago. But he can't. So he tries his best to wound you to a place where you don't want to get back up again. It's like in those movies where the, uh, what was that, Jack Reacher? That was a movie recently where these guys surround him, hit him multiple times. He gets back up again, and they say, big mistake. You should have stayed down. Then they didn't realize that he was about to just beat them to shreds with his own hands. That's what the enemy's trying to do for you over and over again. Stay down. Don't get up. Don't try. Remember what happened last time you tried? It's going to happen again. You're going to fall. Can I make you a promise? You're going to fall. Everybody falls. But not everybody gets back up. Warriors fall, but they get back up. Warriors get hit, but they keep fighting. Warriors take a shot and keep shooting back. Warriors will, take a, will, will fall out of a helicopter and be upset that they lost their gun. Kill somebody just to take their gun. That's what a warrior will do. Remember when you used to be a warrior? Remember when you used to think that you could do the impossible for God? Remember when you used to think that when I pray, God hears? When I lay hands on the sick, they recover? You used to picture yourself talking to people who were in similar situations as you, leading them to Christ? Remember all those days? It's time to come home. Awaken the warrior in you and understand that your wounds will not kill you. Your wounds in the hands of grace, in the hands of God, 
will weaponize you and turn you into the greatest machine, the greatest fighting force, the greatest weapon that this world has ever seen. Jesus went from dying, rising again, to some ragtag group of nobodies, to a place where they look and go, are these the men that turned the world upside down? They didn't have cars, airplanes. They were broke as a joke half the time. You know what they had? A mindset of a warrior. That they were on a mission, and at all costs, they were going to proclaim the gospel. You know what was crazy for Paul? Death wasn't an option. I love the story of Abraham when God says, sacrifice your son. And he goes, okay. Because he had a promise. Like, he'll figure something out. That was his mindset. God will figure something out. Don't know how he's going to do it. He'll figure it out. Paul knew in his mind at one time he was going to go before Caesar. So when they kill me here in the prison, I'll just come back to life. Like, think about that mindset. And his mindset was, it's going to add to my story. Yeah, you beat me 39 times, been here twice. You've killed me, been there. It was a nice vacation for a couple hours. Got to hang out with Jesus. Got some new, me- new plans, new mission. <laughs> the mindset that he had was incredible. And right now there's a lot of people that are wounded. They've been asking God to take away their wounds. And God hasn't done it. You know who else was wounded? Jesus. The one person who could heal all wounds leaves the scars in his hands, leaves the holes in his feet, leaves the hole in his side. He could have came back to life and like, yeah, this looks horrible. Do not match the shoes and be back. But to Jesus, his wounds identified what he had done and where he's going. And your wounds will tell a similar story. They'll tell you what you've done. They'll tell you the pain that you experienced. But it also tells you that I've lived through it and I can help other people deal with the same problems. I don't know where you are in your wound walk. And while I would love to sit here and be like, just give it to Jesus, giving it to Jesus is a daily walk, not a one-time prayer at the altar. I would love to stand up here before you today and lay hands on you and tomorrow you have checks coming, flooding your mailbox. Tomorrow you don't deal with any kind of issues. Tomorrow you don't have any problems. I can't make that promise. I'll happily pray for you. And I believe that God will do the impossible in your life. How? I don't know. But I remember when my son was born, and we, we had no in- insurance at all. And I got, a, I got a bill in the mail for, I think, $42,000. I didn't make $42,000. So I laughed. When you have a problem that's so big, if it would have been a $5,000 bill, I would have stressed. I would have stressed. I'm like, how am I going to do this? Forty-something thousand dollars? I laughed. There's nothing I can do. Yeah, that's what I said. What are they going to do, repo my kid? That was the joke. And at the time, I looked at his mom and said, I don't know how he's going to do it, but God will provide. Whether or not he gives us a lump sum or he just makes it work, I don't know. But you know what I did have? 
the nine months leading up to that, when we found out that he was pregnant, we didn't have health insurance. And we knew it was going to cost 850 bucks a month just to see the doctor. So we knew. Again, 850 bucks was a lot. Still is. And I laughed. And I said, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know if somebody's going to write us a check. I don't know if I'm going to get a raise. Or it will just work itself out. You know what was the craziest thing? There wasn't a single month that I can remember that we had this massive check come through. There wasn't a single big, here's a $5,000 bonus. God put it on my heart. Somehow or another, every single month, my bills were paid, there was food on the table, and the doctor got his $800. Every month, we took a step. Every month, we took a step. Every month, we took a step. So when a $42,000 bill comes in, I can laugh. Your wounds are going to make you a warrior. Just get up off the ground and walk with a limp. Because our role is to be a deliverer. Our role is to be somebody who sets people free and lead them to Christ. Some of the greatest marriage counselors aren't the ones who never had a problem. They're the ones who look at you and be like, whoo, we've got worse stories. Don't you want a counselor that looks at you and be like, you think that's bad, let me tell you about ours. And you're like, man, if they can do it, so can I. You don't want to get business advice for somebody who's never had a problem. The, the old joke that, yeah, when my daddy died, he gave me $25 million, and 10 years later, I turned that into $25.1 million. Like, no. You want somebody who's like, yeah, I thought I didn't get paid for two weeks, and here's what I did to get out of this. You want somebody with some struggle. The best preachers aren't the ones who just lived in a monastery, but who came from a street who understood what it means like to have some problems, who understands his grace, who understands his forgiveness. And in your life and in mine, I want to hear the stories of what God took you from. Not, I woke up with a halo and everything was great. No. Your story is valuable. And I think it's time the world hears your story. It's time that they hear your testimony. We've been talking the last few weeks leading up to this about grabbing somebody and taking them to church. It's time that your story is what brings them to church. Not come here, Pastor Pete, he's funny, but my God delivered me from X, Y, and Z, and he can deliver you too. Come meet my God. That's the story you tell. So with everybody, every head bowed and every eye closed, God, I just thank you that your wounds that we've, we've been experiencing, the wounds that were caused by us, the wounds that other people caused, the wounds that the life has caused. God, today we walk with a limp. The things that we've been seeking you after for time and time again to, to move past so we don't deal with them anymore that are still persistent, God, we just say, thank you for your grace. And thank you that you're making us stronger. God, today we give you everything and every problem that we have, every issue that's going on, every problem that we've been dealing with, every failure and every success, every heartache and every heartbreak, every time we've done the wrong thing, every time the wrong thing was done to us, every time that life has dealt us a bad hand, all the things that we thought were setbacks, God, I just thank you that they were just setups. Setups to make us stronger. Setups to make us a warrior. Setups to make us victorious. Setups to shut up the enemy. Setups, God, today that, our, that we are warriors in the hands of a mighty, mighty God. 
God, I thank you that you weaponize our wounds today. Not to tear down other believers, not to attack those who have wounded us, but God, that you are attack, that you are using us to fight against principalities and powers, mindsets of destruction. That God, as we go out and we go back to our jobs, we go back to our homes, and we deal with our issues, and we have those problems that people know about, that God, right now, that you open up our eyes to see other people's wounds and help minister to them. That our stories and our testimonies, God, prepare the way for an encounter with you. In your mighty name. Amen and amen. We love y'all so much. We can't wait to see y'all more. Bring somebody, and do me a favor this week. Share your story with somebody. Find somebody. Share your story. They need it. Amen? Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.